Thank you, Heidi. This summer, a couple of articles online particularly caught my attention. They were unrelated from different sources, and yet both said fairly similar things. That as the role of religion and churches have seemed to decline in the Western world, people have simultaneously been drawn to secular groups and organizations which attempt to meet needs that religious groups had previously met. One of these articles was an interview with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, who made a lofty ambition of his clear. He hoped that Facebook and its groups could play the role that churches used to play in, in bringing literally billions of people together in community. So he compared the the historic power of the church to the current power of Facebook. It's interesting. I found the second article even more interesting. It was called The Church of CrossFit. And it was based on a study done by researchers at Harvard... They, they were noticing a clear trend, so they studied it and they documented it. That, and this is their words, that in the midst of the decline of religious affiliation in North America and the rise of isolation and loneliness, many ostensibly non-religious communities, such as CrossFit, are functioning in ways that look a little bit religious. As institutional affiliation decreases, people have the same age-old desires for connection, relationships, and connection to something bigger than themselves. This study looked at a growing number of organizations that have exploded in popularity, all of which seem to, to key into to several recurring themes. The need for community, personal transformation, social transformation, purpose-finding, creativity, and accountability. Now, there's, there's a lot of interesting things to evaluate, evaluate about these trends. It certainly supports the notion that if you don't worship God, you'll be worshiping something else. Some would claim that this speaks to the replaceable nature of traditional groups like church. I don't believe that's the case at all. In fact, I think the long run will prove the exact opposite of that. That none of these groups will fully satisfy people's deepest cravings. And that God's community will outlast them and ultimately be proven irreplaceable. But I think that that the seemingly religious nature, the, the religious fervor that these groups have also reveals something about us that we believe was embedded in us by our Creator. And that is our need for community. We need it. Inside every person is a deep-seated need or craving for gathering with other people in order to connect relationally, to experience spiritual and social transformation, and in order to be a part of something that is outside of and bigger than ourselves. Even as our world seeks to imitate or even replace aspects of our community, the last thing that means for us is that we should abandon what God has placed us here to do. I mean, it just means that the need for biblical, spiritual, transformational community is both more relevant and more important than ever. People need it. And they want it. All we humans can come up with are only cheap substitutes to to God's solution to our needs. People need more than social groups centered around treadmills or yoga. We need something deeper. We need something transcendent. We need something with true transformative power. We need something eternal. 
whether or not you've recognized those needs within yourself, they're there. If you would, please open up your Bibles to Colossians 3 at this time. Colossians chapter 3. If you have trouble finding that the page number is on the screen, you can grab one of the Bibles around you. I believe that God says in his word that we have this need for growth within community. For growth within community. As we find Colossians 3, get your place. I'd like to pause and ask him to speak to us now. All right, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come today and we come into your presence. May we not tread lightly. Lord, as we hear from your word, may it convict us, may it encourage us, may it spur us on toward love and good works for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week was the first of three weeks that we are talking about our mission as a church. I've called this series Simplify because that's what we're seeking to do. We're seeking to simplify our mission as a church. So instead of our church contributing to the breakneck pace and the chaos of your lives, we want to be able to call you out of the complexity into simply following Jesus. So we talked about what the core mission that Jesus gave the church was, and that was making disciples. He has put us on this earth to make disciples of Christ. And as we we did that, we settled on three broad activities that characterize true disciples. A disciple of Jesus is someone who first worships God, grows together, and serves others. Worships God, grows together, and serves others. So this, we believe, can describe both what a disciple looks like and how we can become a disciple. Last week, we focused in on why we should worship God and what that looks like for us. Looking at how how Jesus said the most important command of all time is to love God. To love Him with everything we are. With our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I contended that at its root, this was really a command to worship God, to put Him first in everything. Today, I want to talk about the second characteristic of a disciple there, to to grow together. So I've had you open up to the book of Colossians. Colossians is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul, And the opening chapters, which we won't read, but uh, just to catch you up where this is starting, Paul reminded the Colossian believers of who Christ was, the centrality of Christ, what Christ has done for them, and how that should radically impact their lives. In chapter 3, he essentially says, you've become a new person, so start to live like it. Right? You become a new person, start to live like that new person. So he says, fix your hearts and fix your minds on heaven. Meanwhile, kill all the earthly sins in you. His instructions from verse 5 to 11 are fairly negative. He's like, put these to death. Kill this. Stop doing this. In verse 12, he flips to the positive. So instead of living these ways, live this way. Read with me from verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's a a lot there. A great passage. I'm going to look at this much more closely. But first, I'd like to try to summarize what the overarching point of this passage is for you. I put it this way. That everyone saved by Christ is called to grow in Christ-likeness. Alright? Everyone saved by Christ, every true disciple, is called to grow in Christ-likeness. This is a, a clear trait of a disciple. Now remember, disciple meant learner, or it's come to mean follower. So as you learn from Jesus and you follow Jesus, you will naturally develop or you'll grow. You'll grow in knowledge. You'll grow in obedience. You'll grow in character. Ultimately, you grow to be more like Christ. Hence, you grow in Christ-likeness. And Colossians 3 implies that we have an active role to play in this growth. Right? We're instructed right at the very beginning to put on certain things in the same way that we would put on clothes. Alright, so all of you here are wearing clothes today, thankfully. (laughs) But each item of clothing here that people are wearing was chosen, right? You chose to put it on. All of you are wearing, it, it was picked out, and if you didn't pick it out yourself, then either your parents picked it out for you, or, or guys, maybe your wife picked it out for you. <laughs> but some of you are wearing your, your Sunday best, right? trying to look sharp to go to church. Some of you are wearing more casual clothes in order to be more comfortable. Some of you are wearing clothes to make you look more fashionable, maybe more attractive. Some of you chose to wear clothes that match. Others of you just don't care about that. But every item of clothing in this room was chosen for a reason. Using clothing as a metaphor, now Paul says that we should put on and wear certain things in life. We should choose to put on spiritual clothes that look like Christ. That's what we should wear. Things that look like Christ. Put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Did you see why, though, we're supposed to put these on? Because we're chosen people. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In other words, God has set his love on his people. He has made them holy in his sight. He chose to save them, to make them his own. And it's the fact that we're saved that should be the prime motivation for growth. Some of you may hear those words and worry about this like, as God's chosen ones. Well, that doesn't sound totally fair. And what about people who aren't chosen? What if I'm not chosen by God? But those are the wrong questions to ask. The question is, have you responded to God's grace? Have you responded to God's grace? Because the offer of salvation, the Bible says, is open to anyone who would believe. It's open to all, including you. So have you accepted it? Have you left your sins and run to Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in Him alone? 
If you've done that, then you don't need to worry about whether or not you're chosen. You should marvel at the fact that you are. That that despite your overt sin and rebellion against your loving Creator, He chose to look at you and go, I choose you. I love you. I died for you. Now I have cleansed you. I have set you apart for myself. I've made you holy. Maybe you don't fully understand that. You don't grasp that. But grace like that should stun us. And when we understand what Christ did for us through His death and His resurrection, it should cause us to want to love Him in return and to become like Him. Jesus loved me? And this is how we know how much He loved us? Right? Of course, I want to love Him. He was compassionate towards me. I will then be compassionate towards others. He was kind to me. Then I want to show kindness to those around me. He humbled Himself all the way to death on a cross. And I don't want to cling to my pride anymore. He was meek, submitting His strength to His Father's control. Let me do the same. He was so patient, not punishing me, but waiting for me to come to Him. That I want to be patient. He bore with my countless sins. I should be able to bear with a few sins of other people around me. He forgave me completely. How could I ever withhold forgiveness from anyone else then? Can you see how each one of these qualities here really are qualities that Christ Jesus had first? Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As disciples were meant to emulate Him, as He did so, so we are to do so, to become like Him. And as we, and we do that by making whatever efforts we, possible to grow in these areas. See, grace that God has given us, grace is not opposed to us making an effort. Grace should fuel our efforts to grow. You understand that? God's grace doesn't mean we don't need to do anything. It should inspire us to do it. It's quite the list that Paul gives here. And it continues on with love and peace, and gratitude, and more. Now, now that list might seem a bit haphazard to you, as if Paul was just spouting off random qualities. But I think there's a common denominator that can be seen in all of them. Each and every one assumes or takes place in a context of community. Notice the language Paul uses. God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, plural, bear with one another. If you have a complaint against each other, or if you have a complaint against another, forgive each other. Verse 15, you are called together to be in one body. Verse 16, teach and admonish one another. Not to mention that most of these qualities, compassion, kindness, patience, forgiveness, would be impossible to show outside of relationships to other people. 
But verse 14 might just have the kicker. Paul clearly wants to emphasize this. Look at verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all else, above everything else, you have to have love. I I believe this refers to love for one another, for each other. Compassion is important. Kindness is great. Humility is crucial. Forgiveness is necessary. But none of these are important as love. How not? Well, without love, you probably wouldn't have any of the other qualities anyway. And with love you're far more likely to develop the rest as well. And so, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Expanding upon our main point, so everyone saved by Christ is called to grow in Christ-likeness, bound together in community by love. We are meant to grow as we are bound together in community by love. So if this passage describes what a disciple of Jesus is supposed to look like, then above everything else we could embody, we should embody love above all else. So love is the most important feature of a follower of Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Galatians 5 simplifies things for us even further, if you can believe that. As far as relating to other people goes, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus makes it clear that, that love is the distinctive by which all true disciples are identified. Right? You all probably know the verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we are supposed to be people known by our love. Known for our love. Returning to Colossians 3, Paul describes what makes love so crucial with a little picture. He says, Above all, all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Other versions say perfect unity there, perfect bond of unity, or bond of perfection. But God clearly wants us to be a body of people who are unified, brought together perfectly. There should be harmony, peace among us. When people hear Christians, it should be like we're singing in four-part harmony. Sadly, what the world has heard far more often is dissonance. Discord. But that's just evidence that we're, we've often lacked what we need above all. Love. Christ-like love. To use a, a very modern example of, of binding things together... I recently tried to replace my phone screen protector right, without much success. The screen protector came packaged on a, a plastic sheet which was supposed to peel off. But I mistook which part of the protector, which part was the protector, so I peeled it off and then tried to place the plastic sheet on the phone. Which, of course, didn't stick at all, right? When I realized my mistake, it was too late and the protector was already damaged. So when I stuck it to the phone, it just left bubbles everywhere. So soon after this, I got my hands on another protector, tried again. Failed again. (laughs) 
this time I got the pieces right, but when I bonded it, I, I messed up and it just, it left a huge bubble in it. But that's a binding together, right? Scripture says that love binds things together perfectly. A perfect bond. If we love the way that Christ loved us, we stick together exactly the way God intended. It doesn't mean there's not conflict. All right? In this passage, there are clearly complaints that need to be forgiven. Right? But if you love, they're going to be forgiven. And the bond holds. If we love each other in community, we have, I think, an amazing opportunity in today's world to really shine brightly as the light of the world. Studies are revealing some very interesting trends over the last decade. How this generation is more connected uh, technologically and globally than ever before. But how the, the internet and social media, particularly through smartphones, have begun to significantly modify young people's behaviors. And, and the studies are actually being able to recognize things now, what's happening. So that they can see how young people are hanging out with friends in person less and less frequently. They don't drive as much. They don't date or hook up as much. So they're safer physically than they've been in a long time. However, they're increasingly more likely to be extremely lonely. And they, they're exhibiting alarming rates of depression, mental illness, and suicidal tendencies. In that context, the church has a huge opportunity. In that context, a a loving community shines like a beacon of hope. In fact, the church may just be the only hope for this love-starved generation. So if we were to, to do this, if we were to put on love above all as we grow together. What might that look like? Well, this passage actually gives us all kinds of hints of a number of ways we might be able to show love to one another. If love, as it says, binds everything together, then each one of these other qualities can play into love. Right. So, if you hear of someone in need among us, your heart is moved. And you take action by maybe giving money, maybe helping them move, maybe making a meal, maybe showing up to cry. Those acts of compassion are ways of putting on love. If someone around here seems like maybe they're beneath you, maybe they're too young, too old, too poor, too weird, too obnoxious, too whatever. And you humble yourself, put on humility, you humble yourself to associate with them or or to be with them, to love them. That shows love. If someone in the church has hurt you or offended you, maybe even through sinful actions, so they sinned against you, so that you have a legitimate complaint against them. But instead of of fighting that or growing bitter or spreading gossip or seeking revenge, you you choose to, to bear with their sins, to forgive as the Lord forgave you. That shows a love like Christ. You can also show love through kindness or meekness or patience as well. Even peace, which comes up in verse 15. It may seem at first to be a a personal inner peace. But look at it. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. But then it becomes clear that this is an interpersonal peace. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So the way that we even pursue peace together can be an expression of loving community. I pray that we would be a community that is defined by this kind of love. Defined by this kind of sacrificial, Christ-like love. The pinnacle of this passage appears to be verse 14. But it doesn't end there, and it doesn't even climax there. As we go on, Paul mentions peace and, and gratitude in verse 15. And then in verse 16, he makes another key point about something that is absolutely vital if we are to grow in Christ-likeness together. Look in verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What do we see there? Again, getting to the main point. Everyone saved by Christ, called to grow in Christ-likeness, saturated together in God's Word. We are meant to grow as disciples, being saturated together in God's Word. Again, this clearly happens in the midst of community. Well, I think that, that personal, devotional Bible reading is, a, is an excellent part of our spiritual lives. Biblically speaking, learning God's Word together in community is far more important. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, you must not neglect Jesus' words, the word of Christ. And that's not just talking about the the red-letter words of Jesus, which he spoke as a man on earth. Because we believe that all of Scripture was inspired or spoken by Christ. But Paul paints a really vivid picture here of how much God's Word should shape our growth. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you should allow it to dwell in us, like someone living in a house. Right, so what would be the, the difference between a, a visitor and a resident in your home? Right, kids, you may sometimes have a friend or two over to play with you at your house. Adults, you may invite someone over to share a meal with you or some drinks. Maybe you have some people over for a games night or to watch a show or a big game on TV together. You may invite someone to, to spend the night at times or even a few nights if they're from out of town. But in all these cases, these are, they are just guests in your home, visitors. Right? It's very different than, say, inviting them to live with you permanently. Letting them move their stuff in. Giving them a room. Letting them redecorate. If you do that, then they become a resident in your home. They dwell there. Now, many times I think that we may treat God's Word more like a visitor than a resident. Maybe a regular visitor. Maybe even every Sunday. But as a church, God's Word needs to be a permanent housemate. Making its home inside of us. In us, among us, around us. And this verse doesn't just say, you know, give it a corner bedroom in your basement. No, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And dwelling richly means it should have prominence. And it should have influence. It needs to be given the run of the place. Right? It needs to be allowed to redecorate. We should 
see it changing us everywhere we look. How should we do this? Well, Paul mentions a couple important activities. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So teaching and preaching the word, this has to always remain a central place in our church. And admonishing one another, which can happen in the conversations you have daily. right? As you encourage one another away from sin and towards God. That's admonishing them. But did you notice that the other interesting way here to let God's word dwell in us? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So singing together can let God's word dwell in us richly. This verse, really, it implies a few different things. First, we should indeed sing together as a church. It's actually a command here. Alright? Second, there should be a variety of different kinds of songs we sing. Now, we may mean different things by hymns or spiritual songs than Paul did. But it is clear that there were different kinds of songs to sing, and it was good for them to sing them all. Right? As long as they reflected Scripture. And that's the third thing here. Our church's singing should reflect God's Word. Because singing our songs is a way to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. So all this explains why corporate singing holds such an important place in our gatherings together. This is why we at Calvary try to, to blend a variety of different types of songs together as we worship. You know, old, new, in between, different styles of music, hymns, choruses, etc. And this is why we place such a high value on what the lyrics, the words of the songs say. Do they reflect truth? even if they might be simple at times, do they reflect God's Word? What we sing shapes our hearts and our minds. And it can help us as we grow together in Christ. Now, as we read along, you may have noticed Paul mentioned thankfulness in both verse 15 and 16. Said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now that can almost seem like it's tacked on there, like a, a passing thought, but it's not. Thankfulness was foundational here. It's repeated by Paul multiple times. Even in verse 17, he does it again. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now this shows another facet of our growth. Okay, Everyone saved by Christ is to grow in Christ-likeness, overflowing together with thankfulness. Growing disciples of Jesus Christ should be overflowing with thankfulness. And be thankful with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Giving thanks to God. Why is this so important? I think it's because without thankfulness, we would have no motive to grow. Right? If we're not thankful for Jesus and what he's done, why would we want to be his disciples? If what he has graciously revealed to us is, so, is unimportant to us, why dwell on his word? Why expend any energy or any passion singing? Why bother showing love to one another? 
Some of you have a hard time grasping the reason for all these disciple-growing activities. So you don't, you don't really take the preaching or the study of God's Word very seriously, or maybe you don't feel any desire to sing along with God's people or so on. I think those types of things can actually expose a deeper issue inside of us of ungratefulness or ingratitude. Because if we're truly thankful, if we're truly thankful for for God creating us, for giving us life, for providing for us constantly, if we're thankful that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, if if we're amazed by the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, spilling His own blood on the cross, if we're thankful for the resurrection, for the Spirit, for the church, for His coming return, if we're grateful that, according to this passage, we are now holy and beloved to God, that He has chosen to love us, if we're thankful, then we will instinctively want to to do anything we can to grow closer to Him. We will want to become more like Him. We will want His patience and love and peace. We will want more and more of His Word. We will want to sing, to sing with passion. We will want to grow. If only to express gratitude and love to the One who gave Himself for us. We will be overflowing with thankfulness. And last, but most decidedly not least, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This gives us one final aspect of what our growth as a church should look like. Here's the way I put it. Everyone saved by Christ is called to grow in Christ-likeness, consumed together for the name of Christ. As we grow in Christ-likeness, Christ's name should consume everything that we do as a church. This verse sums up a comprehensive devotion to Christ in whatever you do. Do everything. How? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You can do that in word, as it says, in word or deed. You can do that in word by acknowledging Him every chance we get. By talking about Him. By singing about Him. By spreading His truth. Giving thanks. And for, as for indeed... That would mean obeying Him as our Lord, representing Him by our actions, shaping what we do by what He did. This is a pretty convicting verse, isn't it? It's all-consuming. Maybe the Spirit is prompting something in you, telling you that there's something that needs to change in your heart or something that needs to change in your life. If we're to do everything in the name of Christ. We should also evaluate our church's life by the same standard. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now this recalls a lot about what we talked about last week. How he has to come first in everything. As we seek to grow closer together as disciples, as we seek to grow deeper in maturity, how consumed by this are we? By passion for his name. With each step along our our church's new mission statement, we want to really try to simplify things for you to point you in one clear direction, to really encourage one primary action step. So, for example, in order to worship God, we said we want you to be here on Sundays. 
Right? That, that is the one defined biblical commitment we want to ask of everyone here. So this week for growing together, what is the primary way we can do this? What's the primary tool for growth that we see here? If you want to develop as a disciple of Jesus here with us at Calvary, what do we expect? Where we'd most love to point you is to our small groups. Right, you might think, well, can't I grow as a disciple just with Sunday mornings? Of course you can. <laughs> All right? There is a lot of overlap between these categories. But we're convinced that as crucial as our weekly services are, you need more. I need more. We need more. Because... Think about it. If you just look at this passage, how much compassionate care or patience really happens on Sunday mornings? A little bit. How often do you have to, to how often do you have cause to forgive someone between ten thirty and noon on once a week? Do you get many opportunities to admonish others in this context? Do we need more of God's word than once a week if we're going to let it dwell in us richly? Do we need help to apply it? Do we need accountability? Can we use prayer support from others? Basically, can you get everything that you need to grow on Sundays alone? I don't think so. But we also don't want to just clutter your lives with a multiplicity of activities. So we're asking for one commitment of you in order to grow together. And that's to join a small group. Where we believe that all of these things, all these things in this passage can really take place in a very effective way. Where you can be an active part of a loving community. Where you can be spurred on by others around you to pursue God more where you can grow deeper into God's Word, letting it dwell richly in you, where you can be cared for and prayed for on a regular basis, and where you can do the same for others. Helping them grow as disciples. Remember the primary command, make disciples. We're to grow ourselves, and we're to help others grow as well. So, what we're going to do, everyone, go ahead and take out that yellow insert from your bulletins now. Get your hands on it. All right. Made a little uh, clickbait joke for you on there, but open it up. We've done our best this fall to really provide a, a wide variety of options for you. So that even in the midst of your busyness, we know your lives are busy, we believe that at least one of these should work for you. All right, there are a variety of different studies, a variety of different locations. We're not asking for indefinite, long-term commitments from you. Right? Though the commitment to, to be growing together in community should be continual. Right? That's a given. But we're okay with you even just taking a group for a test drive. All right, because we believe that you'll find them quite beneficial, even essential for your growth as a disciple. We're not exaggerating to say that we love every single person at Calvary to be in a group. So what we're going to do over the next few minutes, just as you get a chance, if you can fill that out, just circle a group, put your name at the bottom, hand it in on your way out, there's going to be some people collecting them. There are, of course, many ways we can grow together as disciples. We're not saying it's the only way you're going to grow. There's many ways. But we believe the best way to do so here is to faithfully engage in a small group of fellow disciples who are learning to follow Christ together side by side. Unless you get distracted from the main thing. The most simple thing of all, the reason we're doing any of this is for the sake and for the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 17 doesn't allow us to get distracted, even for a moment. And whatever you do, whatever you do, 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything is still about God. It's still about the gospel of Jesus and our response to it. In the U.S. last week, uh, a woman nominated as a judge was needing to be confirmed by the Senate. And as she was examined by a group of senators, it came out that she professed to be a Christian. One disapproving senator criticized this, questioning whether she should be a judge, saying this. Whatever a religion is, it has its own dogma, things you believe. And I think in your case, when you read your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern when you come to big issues in this country. The senator said that meaning to be a red flag or even a reproach, something negative. But my first thought on that was, wow, what a compliment. Right? That is something to aspire to. You know, when we look at you, the dogma lives loudly within you. It lives in you. It's my prayer that when people look at us as a church, that God's truth would indeed live loudly within us. That it would dwell richly in all that we do and all that we say for our good and our growth and for His glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we never lose the wonder of what you have done for us. May that be what motivates us, along with your Spirit growing us, guiding us into truth. May your word dwell richly among us. We pray that in whatever we do, you would allow us the privilege as a church to be to see many disciples grow together grow deeper grow closer grow more like you above all help us love each other the way you loved us we ask in Jesus name amen